Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are talk full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong. But don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. I am Jeff Howe, and we've got a lot to discuss this week on the show, including why Tom Herman doesn't have to worry about hiring a defensive coordinator this offseason. <laughs> At least right now, that we know of. We'll get to that and much more. Uh, don't want to waste any time. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He's the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire. <laughs> no longer the man behind the glass, but the man who sits right across from me and uh, is a fantasy sports wizard on the daily fantasy stuff. This is true. Um... Safe to say he's he's making the ends. Uh, Matt Butler. Yes, sir. I, I, I would want to say, though, maybe not master of soundboard because that was the dude Dave that just came in. Because <laughs> well, Dave I, is the master I, of soundboard today, yes, yes. All I knew was basically the yellow lights I've ever looked at. I didn't know these green lights are like whole other things with words, and they mean stuff, too. So learn something new every day. Hey, man, this is not your board. It's not like, yeah, I mean, this is like you, it's, you, you basically get this board once a week. Yeah, yeah, it's I mean, my element. So you yeah, yeah. Mastered it yet. It's, yeah, yeah. You got. I don't know what it likes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it takes time. You got to figure it out. That's what Trial makes the master error. the soundboard. It's like a, you got to make love to it, make sweet, sweet love to it. Figure, figure, figure <laughs> out, figure out the right buttons to push. Lacking the, right the subtlety, but yes, I same like delivery. That terminology. Uh, yes. A man who, as he's told stories on this podcast, G-rated versions of them, knows something about making sweet love. Oh yeah, even if it is on the fifty-yard line, the Rice Stadium beast. Uh, Those are some softcore. <laughs> lifetime long or 2002 UT All-American. 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamlins and Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas, into 40 acres where he earned his degree. If he had a team ring, he'd wear it proudly. But nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And we need to get, like, American Express black cards for the ah. card-carrying members of DBU. Something. Oh. Get some kind of black card or gold card or that something. Would, that would be awesome. I would love that. Yes, yeah, on UT's dime. Because even on the University of Texas, I want to say on their like Twitter page, it says DBU. Mm-hmm. Like the official yep. Texas like like football page. Taking the claim. I, it, it said it last week. I don't know if it still does. Maybe they change it like week to week. But it said DBU last week. And I was like, damn. that's I like that. Yeah, it does claim. say DBU. Yes. Right? Number twenty-one in your program, number one in your hearts, Mister Rod Babers. And Rod, I was doing some, I was doing some, I was doing some research this week, and uh, not that it was extensive research. I was just looking around for some All-American stuff, and we'll get some All-American mentions here in a minute. Rod, do you realize you're the only number twenty-one in the history of the football program to be named All-American? Boom. I'm talking about hey, birthday. I would just say birthday. birthday. All you time. Know, hey, I'm just saying good. greatest number 21 in Texas football history. Texas sports, different thing. Discussion on the game. We don't but, need to get Greg Swindell up yeah. here getting all hey, exactly. I, with Greg Swindell has set set me straight one time on air. So I will <laughs> I will say that I was the greatest 21 in, in Texas football in Texas sports history. But no, that's not the case. Yeah, and I don't know if they got numbers in track or tennis. Do they have numbers? No, in I don't even know. I don't no. think Swimming. so. 
Yeah, Rod B. Name. Rod B. Went from having to uh, <laughs> defend the option as a, as a true freshman all Man. the way up to uh, getting pick sixes, defending Mike Leach and the infancy of the takeover of the air raid in the Big Twelve, which is now everybody's the air raid. It's oh. cool whenever you can watch. There's an anybody evolution. that's not an air raid yeah. offense in the Big Twelve. It's like watching it's evolution not an air raid of the sport. Offense. Give me an offense that's not. An, oh, oh, Texas, you know what? Matt Rule, Texas, Texas is not an air raid offense. Texas and you know Baylor's not Baylor. really right, but Baylor uh, Baylor, kinda, Baylor they kinda went kinda back morphed to, it. to that. Yeah, they went they right they went K-State, back to it. K State's not an air raid. K State's not okay. You're right. Yeah, I would say eighty percent of the Big Twelve is it's, like yeah. I mean like it's like tech, air raid roots. I mean Tech, uh, Tech, Oklahoma, obviously Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma State, yeah. West Virginia with Holgerson, Holgerson, Kansas with David Beatty. Beatty yeah, uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, pretty much. You start getting Iowa out State's not really an air raid either. Mm-hmm. But if you were to pick like a it four year window of an evolution of a sport you you basically played in what was old yeah, Nebraska Big Twelve yeah, like yeah. what was nineteen fifties football the very it end and it's what yeah. we're seeing in basketball right now with centers right. and where you're going towards the modern basketball Good game point. but in the right now I'd say that ninety nine to oh two to where at the back end you got to see Leach yeah but on the front end you're taking on like an old leftover Osborne offense that's yeah. crazy I witnessed it because that was when Leach was. You know, he had just got done with his days at like was it Kentucky? Was he, you know what I mean? Like well, you know, learning from Hal Mummy, like mm. you know, kind of the godfather of the air raid, and then brought it to the Big Twelve, and then Oklahoma won a national title with that air raid offense and that you know the Mangino and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it did. It really started did. started off though, Rod taking on corn fed linebackers from Nebraska as the nickel. That's Hell back yeah, when the man. nickel. That's back when the nickel was uh, not what it is today. That's why I learned football because I had to actually learn both of those styles. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. pretty much if you think about it, in the Big Twelve title game, you ended up facing you know like uh, Nebraska and Colorado, who were expanded your football brain. If that's you will. exactly right, brother. Um, Rod, I always like to bring up too. Every time you mention that Big Twelve championship game against Colorado, as a Texas fan, honestly, as a Texas fan growing up and someone who's followed the program, as painful as the BCS championship game loss was for everybody, that still to me, as far as watching a game, is the most painful Texas football viewing experience I've ever had. Um, Yeah, in terms of viewing, I don't know because I I didn't get chance to watch it. But in terms of heartbreaking, have you ever gone back and watched it? Yeah, I have. All right. Yes, I've went back and watched it, but it was still okay. I don't I didn't watch it like right, how moment, you watched right. it in the moment. Right. I lived through it, and for me, it was heartbreaking because, yeah, actually, I I I thought that, you know, I mean, and, and you know what? This is why we lost the game because prematurely, I was I didn't say I was thinking ahead, but I think everybody to a point was like, man, we're gonna play the national title game. Yes, you know, we're gonna, it's, it's happening. You're gonna it's play already, Miami. We already did it. I mean, that that, that happened. Yeah. You know, what I mean, I think most of that team was thinking that, and then that's what happens in football. You know, what I mean, that's why they play the game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's probably why it was so. Because I think fans, probably even more so than we were in the locker room, were thinking, "Oh man, Texas is about to go play in the big in in the big game." We everything had unfolded that day. That like yeah. it really wasn't even that much of a thought. You knew that there's always some crazy scenario that's never gonna play out your man. way to give you the opportunity. It was beautiful. For but then as things were happening, I think it was like a touchdown late in that SEC game, and it Tennessee was like, oh, beat Florida. Yeah, and you see swamp. that in the end zone. It's like, oh man. wow, okay, they're a half away. Let's see what we can do. Man. Yeah, it was. Was, uh, it t- was that T. Martin Tennessee? No, no. was that? It was a little bit later. I remember Travis Stevens was a running back at Tennessee. Okay. Yeah, it was like three years removed. It was, it was like right before their Jam- Jamal Lewis was probably like a freshman yeah. on that. Team. Man. Yeah. It was uh man, it was crazy though, because I remember waking up that morning and I had a basketball tournament. It was Sad. my senior high school had a basketball tournament that morning. And I'm I'm thinking, 
I'm going to see Texas beat Colorado tonight. They'll get in a BCS game, maybe the Fiesta Bowl, play against a quality team, and it'll you know it'll be it'll be good. It'll be good. Great, great way to cap the season with a Big Twelve championship. And mm. then, like right before kickoff, it's like, oh my god, like wow. everything. They're they this, this they're they're four quarters away from playing Miami. Yeah, and oh, that was the U at the peak. Man, of the U. that would have been, and it, which is a lot of people consider us the greatest, one of the greatest teams, talent wise. Yeah, mm-hmm. in the history of college football, that'd have been great. That, that would have, uh, yeah. I mean, that, now I'm now I'm depressed. Well, let's I'm get sad. some. Let's get on some ride that's going to make you depressed. not depressed. Um, I'm before. Depressed right before we talk Todd Orlando, let's talk about some of the easier stuff to talk about. All American honors have been going out, uh, handing them out like nickel candy almost. Sporting mm-hmm. news came out today as we're recording this. Uh, Michael Dixon and, Desha- and Deshaun Elliott, first team All Americans. That means both of those guys are consensus All Americans. Yeah, because, um, yeah. Michael Dixon's the first wow. Longhorn punter to ever be named consensus All American. Deshaun Elliott, the first defensive back since Earl nice. Thomas to earn consensus All American. I mean, you talk about cons- consensus. Yeah, people don't know how tough to, it is to be a consensus All American. Like yes. when we talk about I when say we talk about the DBU, B. I want to say, dude, there have only been like five. Right, if you give me just a second, I, mean, I, I, I want to say DBU has only had yeah. like five. Let me know if I'm wrong about this. Maybe I'm maybe I'm like about, Jammer. Maybe no, dude, it was like yeah, it was like Jammer. You talking about Jam? Earl. Talking about Earl, um, Huff Earl Daddy, that that year Aaron time. Ross. May, it only Aaron takes Ross. one person to screw you over out of the yeah. consensus. I think it. I I, I think it's like five or six. My, my point being, it's really really tough to do. Johnny oh, Johnson. I will run down the list of Texas consistency. This is according oh, to Texas. This. this is according this. to TexasSports.com. So this could be uh, up to Bianco. Oh, uh, this file. could be off. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. they're lazy. We, we, we talked to them. Remember Vesher calling you? He's like, yeah, yeah, tell John Bianco <laughs> that I, I got that one in the hey, bowl game. What so they don't know is the former players go back and check those lists all the time. So oh, wait, no. I'll we'll call you out on it. Yes. All right, go ahead. All right, Rod, hold on. We got consensus All-Americans. Give me just a second. Yeah, because they do have a list, but like I said, I, I – thought that, they had a list of consensus Yeah, they, they well, do have a list. too. No, they do have a list. But still, I, to have that type of accolades just awesome that literally do, is a it, consensus And I want to say once you're a consensus, you get the plaque in, yeah, the, you in Moncrief. You, you do. Get, they they okay. like make a thing. Like, like, I don't know how All right, they I got to read asterisks, so bear with me like etch your face and yeah. then something, and you get – I wanted one of those. Okay, I, you, all okay. I got was the, the, the picture. Are you ready, Rob? Yeah, this yeah, is consensus. Still, consensus. Pretty good, man. You're an All-American at Texas. Consensus yeah. All-American defensive backs. We got Johnny Johnson. Yep, Johnny. We got Jerry Gray. Yep. Jerry Gray twice. Nice. <laughs> 83 and 84. Oh, uh, I think Johnny might have been twice too. Johnny was only once. He was only once? Okay. Uh, am I right? No, Johnny Johnson was a two Yeah, I would say Johnny did it too, dog. That's why them boys, they do a beast. That's, the, that's what defined <laughs> DBU. Uh, Quentin Jammer. Tough. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Huff Dad is probably on Michael Huff was not. actually. Well, that was 2004. It's Michael Huff in 2005. Ross yep. probably in six. Uh, mm-hmm. Not Aaron Ross in 2006. Yeah, no, because I don't know if Aaron Ross and was. Then and then Earl Thomas. So, so how many is that, right? So Johnny Johnson, five Jerry Gray. Seven one, two, seasons. three, four, five, yeah. Johnny wow. Johnson, Jerry Gray, Michael Huff, mm-hmm. Quentin Jammer, and Deshaun Elliott. Dude, and, y'all, and some That's people awesome. didn't think he should leave early. <laughs> Talking about what yes. are y'all talking about? Well, that's what, what is wrong with y'all. Who really, he should, man, you know what? He can go back and 
He can go get some better film. Better film? He's a consented All-American. It's happened to five other guys in the history of Texas football. I would like people like Johnny Johnson, Jerry Gray, say that out loud. With this All-American stuff. So that's the consensus. That means you were three of five teams that the NCAA recognizes, which I believe is the AP team, the Sporting News, the Walter Camp Foundation, uh, the American Football Coaches Association, (laughs) and USA Today, I think, are the five that – Count towards consent. Towards I didn't even honors. know that football redefined the word consensus. Johnny Johnson consensus. That's Johnny funny. Johnson. Johnny Johnson was a two-time unanimous All-American. That means there twice. You go. He was a first-team All-American on all of those teams. That's why I want to say on my uh, my DBU rankings, dude. I want to say Johnny Johnson's number one on yeah. my list. Unanimous. It's like maybe Jerry Gray then Johnny Johnson because I think Jerry Gray I put ahead of him only because the style of DBU right. was set by Jerry Gray. The but Johnny Johnson may have been the greatest defensive back in the history of Texas. And Johnny, football. I need to get with Johnny cuz I've seen it I've seen it mentioned. I need to get with Johnny and figure out what it is. He won kind of what was the precursor to the, the Thorpe, Thorpe Award, Award, which yeah, was like the, down, think, yeah. the downtown athletic club when they ran the Heisman yeah. Trophy. They gave out like a defensive they back did. of the year. I forgot what it was. Yeah. Coach, Before Kino, the Coach Aquino would talk awards, about it all the time. You always um, had that Heisman Award. I can't think. I should know this, but it's my fault. Yeah. I forgot what it was. So there you have it. And Michael Sean, Dixon, the yeah. first con- first Michael consensus Dixon. All-American punter in school history. Congratulations. Well, the first right Way Guy Award winner as well. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, long, long, no, sorry, long ball Dixon, guys, or deep ball Dixon. You can call him anything you want. You can adopt your own nickname. It can be sky balls, uh, deep balls, long balls, high balls, whatever it is. All right. But you got to give him a nickname because that's how damn good our punter is. So don't refer to him as Michael Dixon anymore. Can we just call him Dicko? That's his nickname. That's what everybody calls no, I'm not calling him Dicko. That's stupid. Long okay. ball Dixon. That's what he does. So you, that's so how I gotta, know him. I don't know him as so Dicko. Something, something to, something to accentuate his, his skill set and okay. how good he. Because you know what, he's going to be in the NFL for another 20 years, so it'll stick. We're asking Long the balls, Dixon. We're asking the Blitz listeners, please come up with something. That Rod can pin down, that Rod can hammer down. No, it's all right. You know, you do whatever you want to. I'm just saying. No, because we, if we're gonna own. do this, we got to do this right. We got to have one. I that agree. We, we should on. have one nickname for him because he's that damn good. Kind of like when Fozzie Whitaker balls, was Dixon. When Fozzie Whitaker was was running the wild, and I wanted to call it the Fozzie Bear, nobody got on the boat. <laughs> it, it's upsetting. Well, you, you have a great idea. Nobody jumps on board. But see, if Dr. Right. <laughs> Pizarro gives you one, you got to run with it. So El Capitan America was Fozzie Whitaker. Well, I agree. With, I agree with Jeff. I think Fozzie. Fozzie even thought it was creative. And more creative, and I agree with you. And now he's playing in the NFL. It should have stuck, and he could have still be called that by nickname. People like Wild Foz, Fozzie Horn. I'm like, let's call it the Fozzie Bear. (laughs) I'll take it. It's better than what some people. No, I agree with you. It's better than what some Longhorn fans I know called the Cody Johnson Wildcat package. What was that? (sighs) The Wild Johnson. No, they called it the Wild Fat. The Wild Fat? Why? Because he was fat? Cody Johnson's a fat joke. He was fat. Well, no, they shouldn't have Wild Johnson is so much better of a nickname. Yeah. Um, yeah, you could come up with something better than that. I think the Wild Johnson was better. That was all uh, That was all in the name. It should have been the Big Johnson. Example. Yes. There you <laughs> go, see? Because he's big and his last name is Johnson, so the our Big friend. Johnson Man, package. Got, the Big Johnson this, package. They should have yeah. yeah. been praying it out and be like, you know, we've had a lot of success. And, I, and then like put the coaches out there just with straight face. He's been, we've been very successful with our Big Johnson package. And we're just trying to make sure that we can utilize it correctly, and uh, you know we're, we're trying to build on top of you know build on it did all these all these great puns. I, I think it would, be there would be. I remember a press conference up. in 2010 where Greg Davis droned on for like five minutes about 
Cody Johnson's package. And at some point, I'm like, I think he's just messing with all of us. He's trying to say how many times yeah. he can. He's trying to say right. how many times he can fit in the phrase Cody Johnson's package. Him and Mac stage. Brown, they got a bet or something going on. He's like, yes. yeah, I told you I could get it right 15 now. times. Ah, that was it's like a super trooper thing. thing. Yeah. I didn't know you could do it. I thought you were just you were BSing me. That's a, that's a, that's a neat deal. What a that's neat a neat deal. deal. <laughs> um, not part of my day. Not part of my deal. Uh, Malik Jefferson, by the way, second team All American on the Sporting News list. Also, second team AP All American. So. Oh, I like that. Nice. Oh, Malik. Uh, what's Malik? Have those grades come back yet from the NFL? Yeah, they would have. Tom Herman said typically like, in, his, in his experience it took about two weeks. So, yeah, they should be back. Those grades are now, back. Now. What the hell is Malik waiting on? I don't know, but uh, we'll Malik, get to that. Uh, Malik, you need to, get, you, need, you need to get it out there, brother. Let's table, I, that. Let's table the Malik Jefferson okay, conversation sorry. for just, just a minute. So there's your All-American. There's, there's your All-American update. Those are the only three guys really right now that are getting All-American honors. Puna Ford, I think SB Nation named him honorable mention All-American, but uh, no, no, no. overall. But see, so that we just wanted to break it down like consensus All-American because when we talk about Rob B being an All-American, Rob B, you were on the AP team. I was an All-American, but not. I think you were not, second team AP. Yeah, I was, but I'm not, a cons, not close to being consensus. I was on like one or maybe some other Rudy, yeah. Rudy, Rudy Poot team or something. So, but here's my question for All you, American. and I was wondering this. Like somebody <laughs> – <laughs> Somebody like Matt does not want me to demean yeah, myself. Under my, all <laughs> American. American. I would all be American. writing that. It'd be all like American. Vince Young's tattoo on his back. It would just say <laughs> All American. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyway, continue, Jess. Uh, some of you, Rod, you don't get consensus All American, so you don't get the plaque. Yeah. Did you get like cool. something from the staff? Or no, from the you don't program? get anything from Texas. I mean, yeah. they do have a picture like of all the All Americans. Right. Like, there's a picture they take of you. I guess they take the picture, like whatever you do during your team photo. You take individual shots. They give you. They put that one and they put All American. But I don't know. I think they've changed Moncrief since then. And my first question to uh, <laughs> yeah to Tom Irvin would be, hey man, what my picture? At? Did y'all yeah. get rid of? It? Did y'all burn it? Give it to me. I yeah. don't just throw it away. Bumping down and yeah. you're like melting basically by should, the end of it. Should, you're in the bottom yeah. of the basement. Or auction that stuff off or something. I will come by. They my should picture. give it to you. They should auction it off yes. for charity. And I will go buy my own damn picture. They should do that. That would yeah. be really good. And then some billionaire, millionaire can buy the Rod B Rod, picture for and the record, give it to me. <laughs> I, found, I found the link. Rod, you were a third-team AP All-American back in 2000. Boom. There you go. Defensive nice. backs on the third team were yourself. Vontez Duff from Notre Dame, who was a badass at Coppers Cove back in the day. Uh, Chris, Chris Gamble from Ohio State and Jim Leonard from Wisconsin. Second-team oh. DBs ahead of you. That Brent. was a hell of a defensive back year, though. Yeah. Second, yeah, because the second team ahead of you, yeah. uh, Brandon Everidge at Oklahoma, Terrence Holt from NC State, who you played with in the NFL, yeah. uh, Marlon Jackson at Michigan, and Marcus Trufant at Washington State. Yeah. Um, and then the first team, uh, Mike Doss, Terrence Newman, yep. uh, Troy Polamalu, and Shane Walton from Notre Dame. Wait, so that team didn't even put Jammer on it? No, 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 that's 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 okay, okay, okay. Yeah, the Shane uh, Walton yeah. one is interesting. I don't know if he should have been on there. <laughs> Yep. So I'm complaining about some in. random guy that nobody can research. Hey, man, I don't even. Know <laughs> I don't disagree with that guy. That guy actually sucked. Yeah. Rod wants to go retroactively and take away someone's AP on yeah, an All American mention. So I can get bumped up the list. So uh, <laughs> let's move on from the All America talk and get to Todd Orlando. And you know we had reported on Horns 247com Chip Brown did that there was interest between Todd Orlando and SMU. Uh, Texas sort of. Kind of denied it. Didn't really. Tom Herman basically denied it. 
didn't really come out and say no. There was no statement released. Tom Herman said if uh, basically if Todd Orlando was going for an interview, I would basically if that story was true, I would have known about it because my coaches come tell me, right. talk to me about things but like that. We all know how, which know. is the most asinine thing I've ever heard. Like. We all have jobs, okay, and everybody who has a job, you don't want your current employer to know you're looking for another job. Everybody knows that. It's just, and I don't give a damn how high up that job is. You don't really want your current employer to know you're looking for another job or talking to another company about getting another job. That itself, in itself, says you're unhappy with some place or some way in your, you know, in your current employment there. So I think. I think Todd Orlando's people may have talked to SMU. As there you was some said. form of contact. Yes, but Todd Orlando can say, Thank "Hey, you, man, man. Yeah. I didn't really, I didn't do nothing. I didn't talk to anybody. Yes. That was just my agent that was talking to him." I was like, "Okay, well." But the bottom is. line is, Todd mm-hmm. Orlando's not going to SMU. SMU hired Sonny Dykes and Rod. Which, I, mentioned, I don't I mean, know about that's a good. I don't know if that's a good. I, I mentioned this when I was with you uh, when I was filling in for you on the Rodcast last week. Which again, thank you for letting me do that. By the way, well done too. Uh, lots I of appreciate praise that. and compliments. And then uh, I was on with Chad and Kevin on the horn. And I mentioned it on the message board on Twitter, whatever. Um, I felt like regardless of whatever the interest between Orlando and SMU really was, I felt SMU was going to go with an offensive hire. I'd heard Jeff Trailer was the number one mm-hmm. candidate for that job. Uh, Rick Hart, the SMU AD, wanted somebody with some experience, so he goes with Sonny Dykes. The bottom uh, Jeff Trailer now with Arkansas. Now with Chad, Chad Moore's Morris. Arkansas. Great move for them. Is, now they can get back to recruiting East Texas, and yeah, Arkansas exactly. needs that. Arkansas needs to be able to They recruit. need Texarkana. Yes. They, they need Arkla Tex, whatever they And Jeff Trailer, Jeff Trailer's got connections in northern Louisiana and yeah, East Texas, exactly. so they're good on that front. Uh, that's what I Arkansas love, needs. And I love Hunter Urichek as their AD. I like what Arkansas did, man. Yeah. So I, I, just on the quiet front, I think it's a we I think they made good moves. We can SEC West. We can talk yeah. about Arkansas on this show like we can about A and M because a lot of Texas fans forget, especially like my mm-hmm. match generation that grew up with it. Like we grew up on the tail end of like Arkansas being a thing. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Like my dad, my my dad when he was alive, he hated Arkansas. Arkansas was bigger than OU. Literally. My first for Cotton Bowl. Arkansas. Yeah. And Arkansas, and Arkansas was bigger than OU. Every time we play generation. Arkansas in that capacity, they beat Texas. Yes. Is, Arkansas is very annoying. I mean, <laughs> from the game of the century, I mean, back, Nixon yes. flew to watch it. I Damn. mean, yeah, I you agree. go back that generation, and it yeah. was weird, and it just shows how much co- college has evolved because the old OU and the Big 8, and then that was our conference opponent, and then they end up leaving. OU replaces them. You see that rivalry starts, but there's that traditional just foursome of Arkansas, OU, A&M, and Texas that will be inseparable just depending upon what generation yeah. has it, it as the top. My wife's, kind of hatred. my wife's got family in Arkansas, <laughs> man. That, the the Arkansas-Texas mm-hmm. rivalry is still real in the state of Arkansas. Oh, no I question. I think I family for there too. Texas fans is on the back burner, but that's why when they play us, it's a much bigger deal for them yes. than it is for us lately, right. and that's why they usually get the upper hand. You're like, damn, that's Arkansas. Why'd they beat Texas in the bowl games? Because for Texas, it's not that big a deal, right. but for Arkansas, it's like the Super Bowl. They, they felt like Texas Aggie again. before Aggie when they it's left like, our yeah. conference. To I agree go with you away. on that. Yes. That's a great. That's a great point. Um. So anyway, uh, Rob likes what Arkansas is doing. It, it, Chad Morris takes that job. It ends up with Todd Orlando not going yeah, to SMU. SMU, and. Right now, guys, I, Rod, I don't know. Are there any more jobs open? I think all the vacancies have been filled. I believe pretty most much, right? of them have been filled. All of the big name mm-hmm. uh, positions, Power Five positions, I believe, have been filled. So there may be some other ones uh, at now FCS level. Yeah, but I believe all of the power positions have been filled. If I, if I'm going because Oregon was open, but now mm-hmm. Oregon Mario Cristobal. Um, you know, it was Florida State, but now Florida State filled it. Yeah, Tennessee filled it. So yeah, I think so. So. 
Unless Todd Orlando just decides that or someone's going to back up the Brinks truck and pay him a lot of money to go be a defensive not, coordinator, which I don't see happening. He's staying at Texas. He will be back yeah. for 2018. For one more year. But, Rod, well, at least. Rod, well, you say that. Opens. You say that, and I just I start looking at the, the way the coaching carousel is trending. And you look at all the hires, and I believe – I'm trying to find the data so I have it readily available in front of me. I believe of all the coaching hires that have been filled, whatever, whether it's guys being promoted, guys being hired from the outside, all but two of them were offensive hires, guys with a primarily offensive background. Mm-hmm. The two that weren't, uh, Jeremy Pruitt at Alabama, the Alabama defensive coordinator going to Tennessee, Deep. and – the one that it's either going to be something that's way over our heads and we don't get, or it's going to be, as you say, Rod, a flaming landfill of a situation, Term Edwards at Arizona State. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, I feel you. I, it's an experiment. It's like Johnny Manziel's an NFL career. There's not going to be a, a nice in-between where he carves out like a 10-year career as a backup. This thing's either going to be something that's way ahead of the curve that <laughs> none of us have thought of that's innovative, or in Dude, two years we'll be that, like, yeah, that, that really was that a disaster. That Herm Edwards situation, I'll say this. Isn't um, Arizona State in Tempe? Is it in Tempe? Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Tempe is the number one retirement community in the country. And I believe Herm Edwards is like the oldest coach in the Pac-12 now, officially. And this, and think about this. Remember we talked about, I don't know if we talked about it, but I talked about it on the show. Mac Brown only campaigned for one job this offseason with the coaching carousel going on. What was that one job? Arizona State. Hmm. Yeah. Because I think Coach Brown and Turn Hermel are in the same situation, probably got wifey's in the same got situation. One, they want to retire. <laughs> and Tempe, Arizona, number one retirement community in the country. And a lot of people go to Arizona to retire. That's what Herm Edwards is going to do there. He's going to let that that offensive coordinator and whoever the defensive coordinator is, that's who are basically the head coaches there. He's a yeah. face. He's at this point what the Queen of England is. I mean, it, you know, you don't – all you are essentially is an ambassador. That's it. It's all mm-hmm. the power you have. All right, go out there and make a speech. Go say something. Go answer questions for the media because we don't want to deal with it. Um, and I think even Mac Brown – who is a great delegator, great CEO, he wanted that position because he knew behind the scenes because he had heard, and this is just my theory, he had heard what that position was going to entail. It was going to entail they were keeping the entire staff. You just come in, head coach, ambassador. That's it. He was like, I'd do that anyway. That's me. And And that's why that's the only job he campaigned for. And he could have went to – there were some jobs open here in the state of Texas. There were jobs open in Florida. Florida State, his alma mater. (laughs) <laughs> he went to Florida State. He's from Tennessee. Some people, and Tennessee was open. His name, name kind of got kicked he around. Maybe but he didn't throw it out there. The, the, only, the, the only job he mentioned himself that he was, hey, man, you know what? I think I'd be good for it, Arizona State. Want yeah. to retire, man? He's a grandfather. I feel yeah. you. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Now, good thinking if you're that, a, a place of lifestyle, hired. plays a huge role in the coaching carousel, man, because people don't think about the wifeys. Wifeys are big. Jimbo Fisher don't have a wifey right now. Right. He, he just got divorced like a year ago. He's like, mm-hmm. I'm out. <laughs> what, what the hell is keeping me here? My son, who has a, a an illness, which doesn't have a cure for it, un- unfortunately. Hell, I can move to Texas, where they have the best medical center, mm-hmm. top three in the world, the right there in H-Town. what, 80 minutes from Houston? Come on, man. Yeah, you, where you think I'm going to actually buy a house in H-Town? And my wife, she can, my ex-wife, she can live in H-Town and hey, take care of my son. Do lifestyle. People don't understand. Lifestyle plays a huge role. That's why we thought Tim Brewster might come to Austin. 
uh, lifestyle. Eighteen, so eighteen coaching changes as of right now. Two jobs still open. Kent State is still open. Louisiana Lafayette is still open, as far as I know. Uh, Those are Lulai is a good stepping stone job. So eighteen coaching changes, sixteen predominantly offensive coaches filling those jobs. So if you're a Texas fan, Rod, looking ahead to next year, is Todd Orlando going to get a job? Man, I think there's a pretty good chance you could keep him around because athletic directors, they seem to really crave offense. Offense is what they want. Offense sells tickets. And I go back to when Vance Bedford, uh, I guess Vance was a finalist for the job. He got an interview for the Colorado State job when it opened up when they hired Mike Bobo. Mm -hmm. And I remember Vance telling me and a couple other reporters, um, it wasn't like an in-depth conversation. It was just like, man. AD's one offense. Offense sells tickets. Offense is easier to sell to your donor base. It's easier, easier to sell to recruits. It's a, it's probably a quicker turnaround if you hire an offensive guy mm-hmm. because the it's system easier, because elevate. depending on location where you're at, it's probably easier to recruit those kinds of athletes for a system. If you're a defensive guy like Jeremy Pruitt spent – think about it, he was a defensive coordinator at Florida State when they won a national championship, yep. a lot of years on Nick Saban's staff, Georgia. defensive coordinator at Georgia under Mark Rick, mm-hmm. goes back to Alabama. So – if you're a defensive guy, Rod, it's not impossible to get a head coaching job, but you better be damn good. Mm-hmm. You better be damn good, and you better have a lot of years of experience. And the thing that I think Texas fans maybe kind of lost sight of, this was Todd Orlando's first year as a defensive coordinator at a Power 5 school. So while it was great and we all saw the turnaround, we'd seen the Texas defense the last two years and we saw it this year. Yeah. It went from flaming landfill to the biggest reason why Texas – was in contention in pretty much every ball they game made they bowl played. Game. Yeah. No, like I said, the only reason they're bowl eligible. I think for Todd Orlando to get one of those upper echelon, to get a Power 5 job, I think it's going to take a couple of years of that kind of production to where somebody's like, okay, this is a guy that he clearly knows what he's doing defensively. If we can pair him with the right offensive coordinator, we think this thing could take off. Yeah, and I, I agree with you 100%. That's a really good point. You say 18 coaching changes and how many of them? 16. 16, 16 of them yeah. offensive. Um, and I told because offense is not only what gets you hired, like you said, it sells tickets and puts butts in seats. All the points you brought up, but also it's what gets you fired. Bad defense usually doesn't get you fired. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I I can go it's over numerous. It's part of the culture in a lot yeah, of yeah. It places. seems like people that's more accepted. It's more palatable for the fan base, for the donors and the boosters and the decision makers. Like ah, oh, bad defense. Everybody's got bad defense. But when you can't put points on the board mm-hmm. for some reason, that is what angers a fan base. That is what is humiliating for yep. donors and boosters. That's what gets you fired. Mm-hmm. It's because you couldn't put points on the board. Uh, so I don't know. It is the culture. Thing. I totally agree with you. And I think you make a good point about being able to keep Todd Orlando. The only issue is if Todd Orlando has always dreamed of being a head coach, and we know he wants to be one because he interviewed for the head coaching job at U of H and SMU. At least there was some some interest there, some mutual interest. Um, I think he's if he can find you know the right situation, the right situation opens up and there is mutual interest, which ain't you know, that's actually a that's a rare. Um, these days like you said it's becoming a more and more of a rare thing for a defensive coordinator to find the right situation for themselves and then pair themselves up with their offensive counterpart too because that's what mm-hmm. they have to do that's their challenge is when a defensive guys like all right who's my offensive counterpart and then to that fits me is yes because uh, i guess what basically you have with Todd orlando and tom herman tom yeah. herman has his defensive counterpart and if you are a one-sided kind of head coach which most head coaches are in terms of your expertise one phase of the 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 football game you got to find your counterpart in that other major phase offense or defense 
Tom Herman and Todd Orlando have found that. Todd Orlando leaving, he'd have to go find that. That's a challenge. All those things are very challenging, more challenging for a defensive guy than it is for an offensive guy. I yeah. totally agree with you. No, definitely. And the one thing is, is though, since there will always be just one or two coaches that happens to be a good football coach coming <clears throat> from that defensive side, if you're going to go pluck a defensive coach, Orlando does fit that profile of the one to get. It's in the best conference, yet you're the guy that can stop the modern offense. So that's why he's even in demand right now that he even gets an interview or is even thought of for this job because, like you said, the whole culture is offense, but there's still that necessity that if you want to win championships, you understand you have to stop that offense. So those elitist of elitists, of course, it's the Saban DC Smart or Saban DC Pruitt. Very rarely do you get that. But Orlando showed in this culture, this conference, in modern football, it's almost invaluable to have a defense that can stop these offenses. So there's going to be that super demand for him from the at the highest up if everybody believes he can be that guy. But like you said, right now when you're playing an offensive game in college football, not many are going to do that and it's going to be against the grain. So it's going to be something that won't be a popular opinion, but still may come if that's what he's aspiring to be. I agree with it, that. It, it was kind of a mixed bag. You look at last year's coaching carousel, it was kind of a mixed bag uh, in terms of kind of offensive and defensive guys. You, know, you take a look at guys like Matt Rule, uh, Randy Edsel, some guys like that that had kind of mixed backgrounds, backgrounds of offense and defense. But, I mean, Justin Wilcox gets the Cal job. He's a defensive guy. Luke Fickle getting the Cincinnati job, defensive guy. Butch Davis, a defensive guy. Um, Ed Ogeron, a defensive line coach by trade. Jeff Collins was a defensive coordinator of Florida. He goes to Temple. Charlie Strong, obviously a defensive background. Like all guys that went going down to South Florida. Yeah. yeah. So like guys that are just taking whatever. It's a great point. But like offensive guys like Willie Taggart, he's like <laughs> they're moving like, He's on like up. he's jumping from Oregon to Florida State. And like all within those guys within are like two years, are going Scott down, Frost so. is going from Central Florida to Nebraska. You talking about going to Blue Bloods? Yep. Offensively. Charlie Strong going from Texas to South Florida. Yeah, Will Muschamp from Florida to South Carolina. So it shows right. what your trend is. It's right yeah, there. Like the that offense is in the highest demand. They're, even the really good ones, like Muschamp and Charlie Strong, are starting to be devalued overall. Yeah. Not because they don't, you know, they're not good at what they do, but only because. Man, offense in such demand right that's, now. That's you know a great I mean? way to put Take it, though, Rod. quarterback yeah. from Florida or Texas yeah. the past decade. Offense in such demand. It you can almost make the, the, the correlation between defensive-minded head coaches and running backs in the NFL draft, you've been devalued to a point where people are like, oh, why would I take a running back in the first round? I can give yep. me a really good one in the third or fourth round. Exactly, exactly. right. You know, I need yeah. I need to take I need to go take a quarterback if I got to pick up high. I, I need to go get me a left tackle or a pass rusher. Yeah. When that one four net comes out, that's a sure thing. You go after it, and that might be what you know you saw being whenever it was Kirby Smart leaving. There's very few, but you still have that one at the top if yeah. he's really good. But everybody else, yeah, yeah, whatever. Or maybe Jeremy Pruitt's that guy. I don't know. It's but, gonna have mm-hmm. even more now. If the guys like Sean McVay and yep, Jared Goff, offense. when you saw at the Rams, like all right, let's go. That's the blueprint. Let's go. We can change mm-hmm. it right the now. Offense. It's gonna happen with Shan because Shanahan's gonna turn it around pretty mm-hmm. quickly with Jimmy Garoppolo below with the San Fran. That's pretty obvious. It's going to happen. Now everybody's going to go more all in on offense. You're right. Defense is going to become not an endangered species, but it, it is definitely going to devalue overall the defensive Because defense has been devalued by these spread offenses. Now the coaches can't have those substitutions each play or change their scheme. You have defenses 
only reacting and trying to get into position that they can't even necessarily run anything more than if your base and then you're going to get your man or two and try to identify, set up, and then go and then try to do it again. So it's just the overall devaluing of defense across the board. Rob, we talked about this some last week. Actually, before we get to this Todd Orlando point, I want, I want to bring this up. I don't want to get too far off into this discussion, but mm-hmm. I think this helps kind of understand why people are looking for offense and searching for offense. I heard you talking about this on the broadcast a couple weeks ago. Uh, the crisis the NFL is dealing with right now, oh, yeah, man. just in terms of you know the lack of quality quarterbacks. There aren't that many. The lack of quality offensive line. Like there's an offensive line crisis. It is in the National Football yeah, League and, and a coaching crisis. And it's all because of spread offenses. Yeah. But at what point does the NFL just have to adapt to what the college game is sending us? Like you know what. Everybody's running spreads now. Hey, man, we can't be a, a, a two back, two tight end offense anymore. We got to evolve. And is They're this? Doing it. Do you think? Yeah, I mean, we've seen the, we've seen the NBA evolve. We've yeah. seen Major League Baseball go through its evolutions. Or have we hit just hit an evolution of football where it's like, yeah, we're not gonna get you know the road grade and the three point stance anymore. This is what the college game is sending us because it's what the high school level is sending the college game. Everybody's just going to have to adapt. Yeah. I mean, you're already seeing Kansas City, uh, I think, is at the forefront of it. All the teams at the uh, top but, of the standings. Yeah, but you, but you even saw with Deshaun Watson, with Bill O'Brien, and the mm-hmm. Texans, even here uh, in, in, in Houston, because, I mean, that offense, it just it just uh, it morphed. <laughs> it, you know what I mean? You saw it just kind of morph and evolve so quickly into a pr- explosive offense, the best offense in the NFL, and it was one guy and one head coach and pretty much all the same – pieces around them are the same you know Mm -hmm. what I mean Mm -hmm. and yet with with him putting the mix a dual threat kind of multifaceted skill set at the quarterback position they were able to do so many different things Uh, so I think you're starting to see it like there are some teams that are just really reluctant to do it even Jared Goff Jared Goff essentially yeah and and he's a pocket passing quarterback so we talked about the dual threat element of Cam Newton and all those guys and Russell Wilson what the you know what the Seahawks have been doing for a long time he's leading this team also in rushing which is, it's only been done by, I think, like five guys in the league. Times. Randall Cunningham Norm has Van done Brooklyn. it. Donovan McNabb did it. Uh, I want to say uh, Bobby Bobby Douglas did yeah, it with the Bears. I, mean, like, that's it. Um, I didn't think we'd Super come Bowl in to record the show where Matt's trying to hammer and Cam home Newton. Van Brocklin's yes. numbers. Yeah. Cam Something Newton crazy. did it, too. That's a first uh, Michael Vick actually never did it. Talking <laughs> about guys who let their team in. It's only been like five guys in the history of the NFL, and Russell Wilson's on the part to do it right now. Um, but even Jared Goff, just he's a spread quarterback with Jeff Fisher, old school way of thinking. And that staff, Jared Goff looks like a bust. Sean McVay comes in. He's like, all right, what you run in college? They talk. They have a conversation about what he ran in college. All right, you know what? We're going to let you come up with the checks. All right? We're going to basically make all the audibles uh, very similar to the audibles and everything that you ran in college. We'll simplify everything. We'll cut the field in half if we had to. We're going to give you a really good running game because we got Todd Gurley, so don't worry about that. And, and Malcolm Brown. And Malcolm Brown. And he's able to, and we're going to bring in some pieces, right? To bring in Sammy Watkins and some other offensive weapons Robert for him. Robert Woods, all the uh, Robert guys. Woods, yeah. And you turn that offense into one of the top three best offenses in the NFL. Right. And Jared Goff, a pocket-passing quarterback, but air raid, still air raid roots, he's able to show, hey, in the NFL, you can still have success. And Carson Wentz is doing a lot of it. There's a lot of uh, principles to it, Carson Wentz. They're mm-hmm. learning a lot of RPOs 
and they learn about a read option with Carson Wentz. The Cowboys anymore. do too. Yeah, with Dak Prescott. So it's happening. It's happening just slowly but surely. But only you're right. It was out of necessity. It, right. it wasn't. They they did it unwillingly instead yeah. of just. You know, I think Andy Reid maybe one of the ones guys like oh he embraced it. The rest of those guys didn't embrace it. They they did it begrudgingly. You know what I mean? That's yeah. and I think that's the the disheartening thing. So Rod, when you let's get back to uh, Todd Orlando. When you look at the the challenges he faces going into year two. I think this is kind of where I'm at with this. We talked about this last week, but now that we know he's going to be back, this is I think this is even more prevalent. It's your defense is going to take a step back. We know that. Yep. You don't yeah, lose. Yep. You don't lose as much talent as they're going to lose. Since is all American in the secondary. At, at safety, <laughs> uh, you lose Holton Hill at corner. Your best cover. Puna man. Ford at nose. Well, it's not official yet, but let's go ahead and assume you're losing Malik Jefferson. Where's Sony? Linebacker. Yeah. Um, central nervous system of your defense, the guts of your defense gone. Wow. And you know, the guy that we had this debate last week that I thought was the MVP of the defense in Holton Hill. That's four four pieces going to be really hard to replace. I, I say Puno Ford's your MVP, right. but either way, you're losing them. Right. You're losing them. The challenge is just don't let the defense fall off a cliff. Yeah. Which happened with Vance Bedford uh, when he had similar losses to the central nervous system and the good of that defense and also Manny Diaz before him. So – I'm not asking for much for Todd Orlando in year two. I'm not asking for a repeat of this year. Just don't let the defense become an abomination. He inherits – I got I got to go back and look at this, and I'll go track it for the next podcast. When Manny Diaz lost, you know, Keiston Randall and Blake Gideon and, and Keenan Robinson and Manny Acho from that defense, and then after that in 2014, Vance Bedford loses – uh, Quandre Diggs and Mikel Thompson, I think, and Jordan Hicks and Malcolm Brown, uh, Malcolm Brown and Ke- uh, Cedric Reed, uh, Steve, Steve Edmund. Edmund. All right, Cedric Reed too. When he and that was a ton. All right, he lost. He lost even more than Manny Diaz before him. I got to go look at what they inherited because I know that Manny Diaz inherited a lot of young talent because that's what a lot of that young talent was leaving in 2014. Right. Mm-hmm. It was young though. It was young and inexperienced talent. Quandre um, was a sophomore. Malcolm Brown was a true freshman. Yeah, you said, was, Jordan. I, Jordan. Th- think about that. There's a lot of young like, talent. You, you remember you know last I mean? week I talked about the Hassan Ridgeway thing in 2015? Like Kenny Vaccaro like, was on. It was on the 2012 defense. On 2012 like, defense. And then yeah. it was that Mississippi game whenever you like, realized. Yeah. No, like how much of good. a difference would Hassan, a healthy Hassan Ridgeway for 12 games had made in 2015? How much of a difference would a healthy Jordan Hicks have made in 2012? Because oh, no you think about that defense, Hell, just like you said, Matt, look at the Ole Miss game. The first half hurt. of the Ole Miss game, and then Hicks gets hurt, and then the second half of the Ole Miss look game. Look at the Philadelphia Eagles, who, I mean, yeah. he's a starting middle linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles. And Rod, <laughs> you great out as the best pass, uh, or best in coverage yeah. linebacker in the NFL I'll, last year. I'll continue to tip my hat to Rod for this going back to the 2012 season. Rod was the only person freaking out after that old Miss game about the defense. You, yeah. Of all the well, beat I got riders, to see it. Anybody that was analyzing the game, every or you were the old only Miss, one that was Miss like, guys. I mean, I know Ole Miss had a, a good second half. There were other guys running wide over through that defense. I was like, oh, he should have hit that guy. That got him in a touchdown. Dante like, Moncrief, who's he? It was yeah. So I agree with you, man. It was uh, that that was troubling to me. But you're right. I got to go see Todd Orlando. From what I can see, just. Uh, you know my kind of my memory, which is not great. I had to go back and actually look at it and do the research. I think this group that he's inheriting is better than the group that um, maybe Manny Diaz inherited. It's better. It's better than the group Vance Bedford inherited, brought back in 2015. Yeah, because he lost a ton. I had to look at the Manny Diaz group. I think it may be. You know, I don't know if it's better than that because that group, really young, was 
It's a lot of it NFL was young, guys. but you had Alex you had Okafor was on Quandre the defense, Caro. Yeah, a lot of NFL talent on that NFL defense you inherited. Defense. So, but yeah. you know this this defense, like we talked about last week, we didn't get into it. So I guess we'll get into it now. This defense coming back for 2018, what you might lack in quote unquote NFL talent, you're making up for an experience. Like you think about the defensive line experience you're bringing back with. Chris Nelson mm-hmm. and Brecken Hager, Malcolm, Malcolm Roach. Roach. Yeah. If Charles Amenahu decides to come back, I like it. That's that's a really good group of four right there with Gerald Wilbon and Taquan Graham. Another year also mixing in there mm-hmm. at linebacker. Gary Johnson, Anthony Wheeler's played a lot of football. Gary Johnson played really well in the second half of the season. Now what you've got behind them in terms of depth, a lot of that's going to be determined by how you finish up this 2018 recruiting class. But at least you know your two front line guys. At least you've seen them put good stuff on film i agree with that and then in the secondary again it's kind of like the same thing a linebacker you know your front line guys i'm thinking you're gonna get chris boyd back at this point you bring back brandon jones pj lock comes back john bonnie's a veteran guy Devontae davis has played a lot of football your depth though is gonna have to come from the true freshman whether if you get anthony cook as part of the 2018 class you talk about but you got six db or five dbs coming in my guy my guy who i think is the best nickel guy in in the country and deshaun jameson that's huge yeah you're bringing in a lot of it's gonna it's gonna be similar to the 2012 defense where i think your higher end pieces in terms of potential NFL guys, will be your younger guys on defense. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those guys win those jobs in training camp. If you end up getting Anthony Cook on, on board there, and I think that'll be 60 Bs. If they Cook's get in for the Cook. spring. So, I mean, he could win one. Of the, he could win that corner job. That's what I'm saying. Chris I, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if you see one or two of those young DBs end up winning those jobs in training camp because I – Listen, I, I know they weren't happy with the way P.J. Locke played this year. Right. Uh, obviously, Houghton Hill leaves a void at the cornerback position, so that spot will probably be open, too. Um, and then Deshaun Elliott, of course, leaving leaves a safety open spot. Well, so you got to think you about can, this class. They have three that. different potential uh, spots open for young guys to step in there. I think two of those young freshmen, from what I've heard, can p- compete right away right. for starting positions. And if you think about these kids, just this class, I mean, Herman didn't get to handpick that last class. He just got hired and came in like this is yeah. the first class to where it, you're going to see the actual – there's no excuse if, say, the player doesn't fit what you're doing because you were the one that got to get them. So, therefore, it made most sense to that he'll be playing the most – of those guys, if you're going to defer before, we'd always say it's a youth movement. You're going to normally err on the side of the young guy over the old guy. But they all were not Herman's guys. Now that you have Herman's guys, you may see even more of a youth movement in that direction. And it's only natural with every single coaching change. You learn a lot about a yeah. coach by looking at his recruiting class, right. about his, his ideology one. and yeah, exactly his ideology and what he believes in. And you're seeing that defensive backs are big for him. Quarterback position is big for him in his first recruiting class. Where they're loading up and they're getting talent. Rod, let me ask you this: When you talk about the, and I'm just going to look ahead. We'll we'll go to uh, we'll get some bowl preview next week. We'll have a just a, it'll be almost yeah, yeah. exclusively Texas bowl, bowl Texas stuff. bowl. And uh, just a quick programming note: I'll mention it at the end again. So show next week preview in the Texas Bowl. No show. Uh, Christmas week, we'll take that week off because the bowl game's on Wednesday and it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to come in and do a Tuesday show on the 26th. Uh, And then we'll come back. So next week will be our last show um, of 2017. We'll do bowl picks next week, which Matt laid it down last week. I get to pick the 10 games, the 10 random bowl games (laughs) 
that we're going to choose from. So yes. I'll bring that to the table nice. uh, next week. Uh, and then we'll all pick the college football playoff uh, semifinals, that being the uh, the Rose Bowl and, we, and the Sugar Bowl. We never talked about it, and I don't care if we have a bet on it, but if you want to think of something to propose that, say, the loser will have to do in our season-long bets, too, I'd be down for that. I bet the listeners would uh, am I, I'm, uh How many games am I behind you? Uh, you We're real close. I didn't tally up that okay. last week, but you and I were like a game apart, and All he right. was like five behind. Yeah. I, I might have been a couple games apart, but we're, yeah. we are far away. I got to make sure I win this thing, that's all. <laughs> Just making sure I'm in contention. We should have at least listeners suggest things for the loser and maybe one will laugh and we'll go with amen i don't make any suggestions because i was all about tasing for yes. the loser and yeah don't, i don't nobody I, wants to do it I and now you're becoming a father you definitely yeah, can't, can't do it now yeah, yeah it was cool we were just you know men without responsibilities guys, yes. but now you're a family man truly yeah, yeah we can't can't, can't, can't do it can't be getting tased can't be getting tased can't, no can't be happening no no, I get no idea. we can't do that <laughs> um but uh I just totally forgot. I got off track on talking about Texas. Yeah, we we're talking about that. You were gonna pick games. Yeah, you pick the I, ten games. Yeah, I forgot what I was what I was talking about before that. But uh, we were talking about just the recruiting class. Uh, oh yeah, man. And bringing in talent. Oh, that class that, got that to play right to away point. too. Speaking of playing right away, that brings me back to my point. Thank you, Roger, for getting me back on track. Um, one thing I was thinking about: Could you do this? If John Bonney's kind of your Swiss Army knife back there, which I think he's your number one hmm. guy coming off the bench, and in your, in your dime package, he's your can play safety, play corner, back. play nickel or dime. If you wanted to move PJ Locke back to safety with Brandon Jones, which I think is a good fit for him, and and, and I would rather have two veterans at safety because we know with the way offenses are in the Big Twelve, with the way the game is now, you need to have guys that know what they're doing at safety. You can't be deficient. From a skill set, talent, football IQ standpoint, it's safety. It kills you if you are. I like that idea. How tough is it to play nickel as a true freshman? Because if a guy like Deshaun Jameson could come in, if they wanted to play him at nickel, how tough is it to play nickel right off the bat? Yeah, it's gotten much uh, more complex. I mean, when I came you know, on the 40 acres, I played nickel as a freshman. Uh, we were playing against mostly running football teams. We were playing against I formation. So, you know, I mean, it wasn't as complex as it is today. As we um, said, Bull <clears throat> Reese making you defend that option, take right? on fullbacks. Yeah, I'm defending triple option from Nebraska. So it's a different. it was a different game altogether. So I agree with you um, because, you know, that guy, I, I've said I think that guy may be the most important player on defense in the Big 12 in the spread era is your nickel position. Mm-hmm. That guy, he ends up, you know, he has to play the run. Uh, you know, he plays, you know, your zone, he plays man, he's got a man up on the slide receiver with a two-way go, which I still think is one of the most underrated in terms of toughest things for any athlete to do as a cover guy with a two-way go like that. Usually a lot of teams put their best uh, receivers in the slot to try to give them a matchup advantage. You got to cover those guys. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's one of those positions you got you to gotta, gotta be a jack, you know, kind of jack of all trades. You got to be a Swiss Army knife there. Um, so it's tough. But if you have a young player who does have that kind of skill set, hell, when Nathan Vasher, when you seen that guy cover and you, you saw his skill set, it was like, well, I know Nichols is a tough position to play, but that guy can do it. That that guy. So I always said that nickel position, if you can play it, it usually means you have a very high ceiling as a defensive back. That's why you go look at the history of people who play nickel everything. at Texas. They most of most of those guys play in the league. Hell, Duke right. Thomas is playing league now. I'm not saying you're gonna get drafted and be an All American and you know be Earl Thomas, but your ceiling is a high ceiling. It's a, it's a Sunday skill set. You have to have a Sunday skill set yes. to play nickel. 
Um, PJ Locke has probably been one of the biggest disappointments at Nickel in a while, considering the season he had. Just to be honest with you, especially the year he had in 2016. Prior to that, yes, yeah. he had, he was the best defensive back graded out, I believe, by Pro Football Focus in that secondary in 2005. In 2016, and I didn't need PFF to tell me that. The eye test told me yeah, exactly. he was the best guy. Well, I, 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 yeah, but I, I agree with you 100. Right. And then in 2017, you see the huge drop off. I don't know if it was injury or whatever. So yeah, man, you said you like Deshaun Jameson. If you see a young guy who's got that, and I've seen Deshaun Jameson because I'm, you know, I'm I'm a Lamar Texan, Lamar racial slur. No, Rod, you it. are a Lamar racial slur. Uh, I am, um, and I've seen a young man. He's he's probably arguably the best returner, uh, one of the best returners in the country they too. Got some guys in his class that can give him some juice in the return. So game. that guy, yeah. I, he kind of reminds me. Of, he's got a little Nathan Basher skill set in him, Deshaun think Jameson. So. Yeah, because he's one of those guys. Kind of just a football player. Well, and that's got a lot of mean. that, you know. What I mean, like I could have put him, you know. What I mean, and you know, Duke Thomas was described this. We've had many arguments about that before, but he ended up playing nickel too. So I agree with you. Aaron Williams played, you know, nickel. I, I agree with you on that. If Deshaun James is that guy's a young position. You might need to roll the dice on him and just say, you know what, we're gonna have veterans around him. We're gonna have a really good corner. We can protect our young corner, but if he's really talented, we can kind of roll coverage his way. We'll put a veteran over the top of all you guys with PJ Locke, and then and then kind of. You know, really protect those guys until they come of age. And when you look at that position, just when you talk about Vasher, a guy that who has physically just the fluidity and then the size and everything, that's something that everybody can see. But then, like you were saying, it seems like nickel seems like the most instinctive position that is, if man. you are processing there, you can almost see a player being exploited because of the fact that it's so fast, so close to the ball, that if you have one wrong step, and it's like when you're talking about flipping hips and those things, yeah, you you can be taught keys, but a lot of that stuff at the snap is instinctive of what you understand, what you see, and how you react. And in modern football, those things are basically the entire offense is created to exploit those few mistakes. And the closer you are to the ball, the more magnified it is because they can get it to you quicker. So that nickel position then, I mean, you screw that up, you're going to be just going yeah. down the middle of the field all day long. The best nickel guys Texas has had, the you know, Nathan Vasher. Earl Thomas, Kenny Vaccaro, Quandre Diggs had just out of this world football instincts, just off the charts. Agreed. Instinctually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to and Matt's a lot, point, a lot of those guys played young. Yeah. To a lot of those guys, they, they didn't, they didn't, they, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, let's develop this guy. Nick was like, nope, that guy's nope. a baller. Put him at nickel right now and let him play. He never left. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that kind of leans Even toward in the my NFL, point. You'll, recon no you'll recognize that guy. Quandre plays a true freaking freshman. Move the nickel as a sophomore. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's kind of what you do. Like, you see that guy's a ball. You're like, man, we got to put him out there. DBA in one of those positions where you kind of develop guys. Like, you know, Ryan Palmers are rare at Texas yeah. at DBU, baby. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, that guy's a baller. Put him out there now. Even Houghton Hill was out there early. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like he's a baller, and then this year he kind of proved that he took was a baller. Took him a little longer, and I would have liked to get him out there. Yeah, it might take a little longer because now, for reasons that you know, we still don't. I can be confirmed, but uh, right. off the field issues. My point being, a defensive back dude, it don't take long to figure out if a guy can play, if a guy can't play. You know what I mean? Get the, put the guys out there that are your best players that can play. That's and it. if you can't play and you're put at nickel, it will be exploited immediately. Yeah. Like that's the position that's going to be even worse. Like yeah. you're going to know immediately when they're on the field if they can do it or not. This is true. Yeah. So I guess we'll close out the show this week. The, the about ten or so minutes we got left, uh, talking about the offense. And uh, you know, oh, we gotta talk Dale Conte real quick. Actually, yeah, we will talk. Can we do Dale that Conte. after we get done talking to offense? 
Okay. Well, actually, no. Let's talk about Chris Del Conte right you wanna now. Want to talk about? Okay. I've heard it's good things. Yeah, no, I like. Yeah, like I don't let's know. Let's be positive before we get into offense. No, because this this kind of this conversation kind of dovetails into it. Um, Chris Del Conte, the new athletic director. This you this kind of came out of left field. You know, we had been hearing a horse twenty four seven that back a couple weeks ago that something could happen within the next you know, 60, 90 days, probably the early part of 2018. Mm-hmm. But it was looking like Chris Del Conte was the number one target for, for Greg Fenvis and for this administration. And they go out and get it done. Man, you talk about a home run hire, hiring a rock star, the number one guy that you could probably go out and realistically get. They go out and get him. Right. And right. so now when you talk about the athletic department as a whole, You've got your baseball coach. You've got your guy replacing Augie Garrido and David Pierce. You've got your basketball coach replacing Rick Barnes and Shaka Smart. You've got the guy that you think is the guy as the head football coach and Tom Herman, and now you've got a full-time athletic director. And, Rod, I just like the fact that Chris Del Conte seems like the perfect kind of guy Texas needs who can respect the past but not live in it and knows this athletic department has to go, has to advance forward to keep pace with what everybody else is doing because for too far, Texas, for too long, Texas was just resting on its laurels. The whole year of the Joneses thing, everything like that. And everybody else on the block was building really bigger, nicer houses, just mm-hmm. as nice as what you've got, and nicer in some cases. And now it's time for Texas to get back to the forefront. Uh, you know, to that point, I do believe, and it was weird because it was kind of an under under the radar announcement. You know, it was mm-hmm. like if you weren't keeping up with Twitter that day, you would have missed yeah. it. That's you know how I found it. I was, it was like, like, whoa. Oh, what the hell? My girlfriend told me. She was like, baby, they had a new athletic director. And I was like, no, they didn't. I was like, that would have been the <laughs> big news. I mean, she was like, no, I'm serious. They had a new athletic director. I was like, oh, what the hell? Um, so I believe, and this is just kind of my theory, and I don't, I'm sure it's been in the works for a while, um, but in terms of Texas making that move and making it when they did, because a lot of people thought this could go into the new year, still them looking for a degree, and we didn't know how they were going to do it. They were going to hire some search firm like they did when they Which hired Which is the Steve biggest Patterson, damn waste of time Right, ever. and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Greg Finvis has proven that he's a man that, that gets stuff done now, and I think this is kind of a underrated, in my opinion. This should be uh, a really a lot of praise going to Greg Finvis. Exactly. Like, it's, a, it's a hell of a move by him, and, and off and on, he's, he's actually had to come in and be really hands-on and save some things with the athletic department lately. Uh, remember the Sterling Gilbert hire? You know, oh, apparently, gosh. <laughs> you know, apparently yeah. like Greg Finvis comes in, it's like, what? The hell is Greg? I thought he was he's a president. Why is he hanging out? You know, know, he's been he, he's and I've heard a couple of stories about Greg Finvis just kind of coming to save the day. Like, hey, if I got to be hands on, I got to do it. I like that about him. So I want to give props to Greg Finvis number one because I think it's a big move by him. Mm-hmm. Um, but number two, and I've heard this about Chris Del Conte, nothing but great things about him. He is a perfect mix of you know they like Mike Perrin because he was. You know, he was kind of the everyman, uh, get on everybody's level. One of those guys had humility and humor, very little hubris. He's got all of that that we love Mike Perrin for. But like DeLos Dodds, he's all about the student-athletes. So he's kind of an advocate for student-athletes. So that was the best of DeLos Dodds. This guy says that if he's in town, he goes to every sporting event. It's like, what? Hmm. And DeLos Dawes, I'm sure you DeLos Dawes is not at men's tennis hanging out. Every now and then, right. yeah, but not. DeLos was weird. I walked DeLos into the Dallas pisser, was, and he yeah. pees with normal people. I was blown no, away. DeLos Dawes the man. Yeah, DeLos was. DeLos Dawes is a great everyman. DeLos Dawes, try you. You couldn't get DeLos Dawes to, to shut up if you ever got into um, a conversation with him. And that's if you're just a complete stranger. All right, yeah. So I, I, so I, he's got all of those things. There are stories about him helping uh, put up. 
you know, tents for tailgates randomly because he's that kind of guy. So I think he's got that hands-on approach. That's kind of the southern hospitality that Texas really likes, but he's got to have the business savvy, and we know there are three things that he's got to do. He's got to turn the football program around, and if you look at TCU and what our athletic programs have done, the big three, the basketball team is ranked now after hiring Jamie Dixon uh, not too long ago. That was a big move for them. Um, of course, Gary Patterson may be the most consistent football coach in the state of Texas, uh, mm-hmm. one of the best in the country. And, of course, the baseball team is always ranked, and they're always really, really good. So their big three is what basically d- decides if you're a good AD or not. Their big three on point, and he is a big reason for that. So I that's why I think that even though he's got with Tom Herman, they got some roots going back to Rice you know, he's a guy that can focus on the big three and get those things turned around for Texas. Number two, the basketball arena. The guy can raise funds apparently like a son of a gun. I mean, that's what he really does well. Uh, talk to boosters, relate to boosters. That's what people liked about Mac Brown potentially being that guy is that Mac Brown mm-hmm. could raise a lot of money. Apparently he's got a little bit of that too. He can raise money. Um, so that should be good. He's got no debt. Three hundred million uh in fundraising and booster donations and, and uh uh, I, I want to say uh, revenue there for the TCU facility. So he can do that. So the basketball arena should be good. We still don't know a lot about it, but it should be good. And he's also got to find a way to navigate the future of college football with the Big 12. Um, and I think the I think the, the future deterioration um, and destruction of the Big 12. I think mm-hmm. it's, even though the Big 12 had a really, really good year, it's best year since 2008, I still think it's inevitable that the Big 12 is going to dissolve. How do you, if, that, if that does happen, how does Texas navigate it? Where's your vision for Texas in the mix? And number four, not really on the list, I want to see him maximize LHN, which is, um, you know, kind of an asset for Texas that no other school has, yeah. and yet it has been more of an albatross, more of a liability to Texas then it's been an asset, mm-hmm. and I, that's ridiculous. It shouldn't be that. I would like to see him try to find a way to maximize that. But don't mistake it. This is a response to A&M making one of the biggest splash hires in the history of college football and to Oklahoma having one of the best years they've ever had in the history of their program. Post-Stoops. <laughs> Post-Stoops. First-year coach at Lincoln Riley, Baker Mayfield, winning the Heisman. A lot of people that are saying that Oklahoma is going to win the national title. First year of Tom Herman. And what did I say? The, the best things that, can, that happened to Mac Brown were Oklahoma winning the national title in Bob Stoops' second year and, and Texas A&M winning the Big 12 in his first year. People forget mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. It, it, that put pressure instantly on Mac Brown. Like, damn, they won the Big 12. That was the best year, arguably, or one of the best years that Texas A&M football has ever had. It was Mac Brown's first year. Overshadows Texas Heisman. A healthy amount of pressure and fear into Mac Brown to make moves. He hired Coach Aquino for that reason. That's why he competed for Big 12 titles early. Because I think Mac Brown's like, man, we can't worry any times a sense of urgency. I think he'll do the same thing to Tom Herman. And this is a part of Texas' reaction to their rivals making right. big moves. Mm-hmm. Big picture, and then let me bring it back to Tom Herman. As far as the big three coaches go, I think Chris Del Conte is the type of athletic director, unlike Steve Patterson, who going back, I went back and watched Steve Patterson press conference yesterday, and I was at that one. And just the tone from both of them couldn't be more different. Yeah. It's Steve Patterson talking about expanding the brand and this, that, and the other. And Chris Del Conte's like, no, we're, we're here to win championships. That's what a successful athletic department does. And if you win championships, the other stuff just kind of just happens around. Right. So I, I'm with him. I'm with him on that. And I think a lot of Texas fans are. When you look at the coaches in the big three, I'd like to think Chris Del Conte is a guy, based on what he did at TCU, he's going to kind of eliminate your excuses. I think he's going to give these coaches everything that they need to succeed. And at some point it's like, okay, 
I'm giving you this. If you can't get it done, tell me what you need to get done. Let me help you. I'll get I'll get it done. If you need David Pierce, you need that facility down the right field line. You know the multiple story building with you know new player development area and coaches offices and a new training room. You need all that. Boom, I'll get it for you. Yeah. Tom Herman, you need a new indoor facility. We'll make that happen. If you need money this offseason to go hire an offensive coordinator, we'll do that. Shaka Smart, we'll get this basketball arena done. We'll get you a new practice facility. If we say we're Texas, we should be yeah. spending since, money like we're Texas. Since Cooley's getting torn down, we'll we'll get you all that going. So I think that's going to happen. But with Tom Herman and Chris Del Conte, this this hire of all those coaches and of everybody in the athletic department, I think Tom Herman's the guy that benefits the most because he's got a guy in Chris Del Conte who they've got some roots. I think Tom Herman's shown – people are disappointed by the 6-6 six and six record, and, and we all are and we all can nitpick it. But I thought about this the other day, and, and, and people are already like, well, if Tom Herman's here in 2019, if he's here in 2020, look, I think – I think the best the best move for Texas right now is unless something happens that is just inexcusable. I think Tom Herman needs to fulfill this five year contract to see where you are at the end of it to give him a full amount of time to try to turn this thing around because Texas hasn't won a lot of football games this decade. Rod, this wasn't going to be like a one year turnaround like some of us, myself included, incorrectly thought was going to be the case. It's going to take you multiple recruiting cycles to restock the shelves, to get yourself in a position where you can go compete for a conference championship with the kind of depth and top-end talent that you need. So I think it's only right that whatever changes Tom Herman needs to make right now, go make them. If Tom Herman needs money to go hire an offensive coordinator, if he needs another seven figures to, to hire an offensive coordinator, by all means, go do it. I, I I don't want Tom Herman to have any excuses that, well, I didn't get the support from the athletic director and get this. Chris Del Conte is the kind of AD that's going to give him all, all the support he needs to be successful. I would like to see those resources get put into Tom Herman, and I would like to see this get exhausted to the point where if at the end of the contract or if along the way there's a 5-7 and seven season and a loss to Kansas. Because think about this. I wouldn't have liked it per se. I wouldn't have thought that this, it was necessarily the best move for the program. But I wouldn't have been vehemently against it, I would have thought that maybe, okay, I would be willing to give it a shot. Had Charlie not lost to Kansas, I think he gets a fourth year. I think, yeah, I think most people are leading that way. If they've been a six and six, I think most people I think he gets a fourth year. Yeah, agreed. And I think, okay, there are no excuses in year four. You either get his fourth year with that defense. Right. You either get it done you either you either get it done or you don't. Yeah. That's so big and like how you said when you look at like the modern culture going against the grain yet the smartest decision may be allowing the time and we even said that that charlie yeah it just is one of those things that's an unforgivable loss that when that happens we just had to strip it take the band-aid off and move on it we even admitted on the front and it probably wasn't even fair but to do have that maybe happen again would be then something systemic where you're making reaction or making big decisions based on fan base reactions. And if that becomes a common thread throughout multiple ADs and stuff, then that shows that it's a systemic type issue to where, yeah, giving a guy the time only makes sense. But with modern society going in the total opposite direction and everything having to be done hyper, it'll be interesting to see. If he actually does get it, you know, um, I, 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 the new I hire was, helps. I heard uh, Mac Engel of the Fort Worth Star Telegram talking about this, and he made a really good point. I, he kind of stumbled upon it. He wasn't even really asked about. It. He was asked about with Del Conte leaving. You know, uh, Gary Patterson. Where would he be in terms of you <laughs> know leaving TCU as a stepping stone program? 
And then he kind of started stumbling upon like, you know, well, hell, man, I wonder if mm-hmm. if uh, Tom Herman actually didn't work out what would happen. Yep. And, you know, I don't know if the, the folks who are decision makers are thinking about it, but it is actually brilliant whether it was a happy accident or not. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody knows that Gary Patterson was been has been waiting on a phone call from Texas, much like Art Browse was waiting on a phone call from Texas. Everybody wants that phone call from Texas at one point. Um, reportedly from Mac Engel, he hadn't gotten it. He, he interviewed with Tennessee and Nebraska and a lot of other blue bloods, but that Texas phone call, which everybody takes, hell, Bill Belichick would take that call. He ain't going to leave the NFL, but he would take that call. Because <laughs> it's Texas calling. Um, if Tom Herman, if we have been bamboozled and hoodwinked and led astray by Tom Herman in his first two years at U of H, and he's not the guy, and that plan fails, and we know it in year three and a half, all right, mm-hmm. by the half Lose to uh, midpoint, yeah, whatever it is, there's a guy who's a proven commodity right down there at TCU who your athletic director now has a straight beeline to. He literally has a straight line to that guy. And we know Gary Patterson loves him from Del Conte. And you really ain't got to change too much. He's a guy who basically has grown Texas roots over the, I don't know, 17 years or whatever he's Mm -hmm. been at TCU. So you got, you almost have your plan B built yeah, in built with in. Del Conte. It's right. already there. Exactly. Like he's like, all right, all right, Tom Herman, you get your four years. <laughs> oh, Tom Herman, you're screwing up. We can start calling. Uh, we can start calling Gary Patterson in year three. Like, hey, GP, start getting everything ready, man. Mm-hmm. They get put, they start selling your house or do whatever. We gonna get this done. Get the contract wife, already his ready. His wife is a Texas ex. Exactly. Like this guy, we know he ain't the guy. It's already a done deal. So you're playing B for football. This is the beautiful thing about it. No, yeah. It's already in place. I think Gary Patterson will probably be like I don't know fifty nine or sixty. Here's the thing, though, Rod. Even if it's not, even if it's not, even if it's not Gary Patterson, right? Well, we're just <laughs> throwing, no, we're just throwing But too, yeah. hear me out, though. Hear me it's out, Gary though. Patterson. Regardless of whatever the plan B is, Crystal Conte doesn't have to go to plan B for. A few more years. Yeah. Got Tom Herman going in. And, yeah. and this is across all sports. Like three or four Tom years. Herman going into his second year yeah. next year. David Pierce getting ready to go into his second year. Shaka Smart's in his third year. Yeah. So Mike Perrin and Greg Fenvis really throughout this whole just kind of weird time in Texas athletics, they've already done kind of the heavy lifting for him. All he's got to do is come in, evaluate, take these coaches that are still early in their tenures, Tom Herman included, and say, what do you need to help you win? I agree. Yeah. Tell me what you need, and I'll go get it. If I it's, agree with that. If it's if we've got the money, I give it to you right now. If I need to go raise it, let's go raise it. No, I agree with you. But the truth is, you won't see that stuff for another three years either. Yeah. <laughs> like, True. Like, hey, what do you need? Oh, I need uh build. I need an indoor facility. Okay. Okay. Yep. It'll be here in twenty 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 three. So you know what I mean? Like my point is, so I agree with you one hundred percent. But the whole thing is like, if you're athletic director, that's your job, dude. Is thinking about Plan B. Your, that's your whole yes, job. Plan B your on your all job sports. is to right now already position yourself to Plan B. The Big Twelve doesn't work out. What's Plan B? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, yes, that's that's what you are. But that's, you are you that's, are the guy that always should be thinking ahead when everybody else is thinking right now right. in the mm-hmm. present. You're thinking in the future. That's your job. To the point of Texas doing this right now. That's why this move needed to be made. They needed to get a guy like Chris Del Conte who's not thinking about okay the immediate future, but yeah. where's where? Well, let's where's go. Let's start thinking about right now about when that grant of rights expires. What are we gonna do? He's exactly. doing his job. He, that's that, that's his job. Do we AD. do we want to keep this Big Twelve around? Because if we need to keep the Big Twelve around, there's there got to be changes, man. If we, we got to keep it alive, then Texas needs to get behind it and push it and push it up, and then it'll 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 be sub, it'll be sustained longer. But if not, then let it wither and die, and then we can we can you know start executing our plan B or right. whatever it is. That's the guy you hired, or at least that's what you hired. Him and for. you hired a guy that in the right time too you didn't hire this guy say four years ago and that might have been why you didn't get this guy back then because everything 
was corrosive around this. You didn't have, like you said now, okay, well, yeah, you have three new hires, but if they don't work out, it isn't on this guy's blood. You already have the idea and the visions of the futures of these programs, but if they fall off, it's not going to be on him, and then this guy will be making those good decisions for the future. So it's a perfect time if you're Del Conte to come into Texas a lot better than it was, say, four or five years ago when it would have been arguably the worst time to ever come into right. Texas. The, the hatchet man theory yes. about oh, yeah. Patterson. The bottom, the bottom yeah. line for me on Del Conte and Tom Herman, on Crystal Conte and Tom Herman, is Tom Herman clearly has a vision for what he wants Texas football to be. Mm-hmm. And now he's got an athletic director who has shown in his previous job he can take that coach's vision, and whether it's buildings or whatever, he can help bring that to life. But the flip side of that is we're going to hit a point whether it's stuff that's in the works or whatever or another facelift of Moncrief or whatever, we're going to hit a point where Tom Herman doesn't have any excuses. This is true. So whatever you, people wanted to say about Charlie Strong, he didn't have the support from this guy, he didn't have the support from that person, whatever, that's not going to be said about Tom Herman. If Tom Herman fails at Texas, it'll be because he wasn't the guy and didn't get the job done. Agreed. And that's ultimately what the case was with Charlie. I mean, look, we, like we said, you're 5 and 7, you lose to Kansas, you don't keep your job mm-hmm. at Texas so wait, doing that. No. But he would say that the fact that you've got the guy that you think that you think that you think is the guy, the, the head football coach that you think is the guy. Now you've got an athletic director that unquestionably is going to be behind that football coach and yeah. give him every possible opportunity to prove that he's the guy. I agree with that. Yeah. And that's good for this university, because guess what? If it, if it doesn't work out, if we get to 2020 and Tom Herman's still a six and six coach and it's not good enough for anybody. Then What's up, Gary? we talk about Tom. GP. We, What's up? Not just no. I'm not talking about that, but we mm-hmm. talk about Tom Herman and taking over a job that was in a better position than when Charlie Strong took it over. If Tom Herman doesn't work out, then the Texas job is going to be that much better. It'll be like what the, the yeah, I agree with you. It'll be even now it's because the facilities will be new and all the upgrades and everything. Great AD to team up with all stability that within the athletic department. Yeah. No, maybe. Yeah. Either yeah. way, no, yeah. Right now it's even the beginning if, almost. Yeah. Yeah, no, I guess Nick so Saban will be too old to recruit. This is like the last God's front runner. Either <laughs> way, either way, either way, this it's a good th- move for this, Texas. This can't in any way it's, but good for Texas. It's a win-win in terms of the football agree. program. Yeah. So, uh, the offensive discussion I was going to have is if Tom Herman decides he needs money to go hire an offensive coordinator. Hey, Del Conte will help it. you out with exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're Texas. We shared the fattest <laughs> checkbook in the world for this. Because Del Conte just dealt with this when Sonny Cumbie and and uh, Meacham were big. I don't know. Yeah. Big Whenever it was decided for the between Cumbie to come yeah. here, or you're right about that. That's a that's a really good point. And you know what? I think the the pressure from A and M making their big splash. And Tim Brewster now also making another mini splash because Tim Brewster is going to be there with um, Jimbo Fisher and them hiring. They got the uh, offensive coordinator from Memphis. Yes, right uh, as their offensive Darryl coordinator, Dickey. right? Darrell Dickey. Um, so my Former point North being, they're making moves, and hmm. um, obviously the Oklahoma is doing what they're doing in the college football playoff, and they got the Heisman winner in Baker Mayfield. I think Tom Herman. There may be enough pressure on him just from. The rivals doing mm-hmm. what they're doing and and having a lot of success for him to go. Damn, you know what? I need to I need to make a change before, here. Before I gotta we, do something. Before, before we get out of here, before we close Don't this down, Rod, I want to get your thoughts on Tim Brewster to A and M because Big. you know people can poo poo it if they want to. I think the fact that you got Tim Brewster recruiting against Texas right now in Houston, in and around Houston, that's not good for Texas anyway. So I said it makes your job mm-hmm. that much harder. But Rod, for anybody that would want to say, well, why is Tim Brewster so good? Tim Brewster got you to the 40 acres. Yeah, he did. And his game hadn't slipped that much 
in the last. No, I heard it's gotten better. Twenty or so years. Yeah, so it's yeah. gotten better. He's a better recruiter than just, he's. I mean, I like I said, I call him the Rick Flair of recruiting. He's just uh, Jalen Ramsey and that team have just yeah. so much talent on that 2014. Think Florida about those State Florida team. State Look teams that, yeah, lately, and he, he, he's the guy that recruited Vince Young. They Texas would put would sick him essentially on on the guy they needed to have, like the guy that would make or break that recruiting class. He went and stole Chris Sims from Tennessee. I remember when everybody was like, "Yeah, Chris Sims committed to Tennessee today," and he's like, "Man, I wouldn't believe that for a second. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I just talked to him, man. He's still on that Texas bandwagon. That's how he talks. I'm, yes. I'm doing my best. No. He's, still, he's still on that Texas bandwagon, man. Don't you worry about it, bro. Don't you worry about that, man. Like, he's like, and he's got this swagger about him. He still, I mean, young people love him. He's got uh-huh. an energy that really is just it, it's, it's hard to quantify. And this guy, when he gets on, when he gets his mitts into somebody, man, I'm telling you, it's hard to say no to Brew. He's one of the only guys I couldn't say no to. I came to Texas mm-hmm. because of because of Tim Brewster. And everywhere he goes, I mean, every that's one thing in college football he's been able to do is recruit really good talent. Even when he was at Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Go look at some of those Minnesota teams. They had talent Eric on them. Decker. Yeah, because Brewster was bringing in talent there. So that's one that he does really well. And I, he's very loyal, so it doesn't shock me staying with Jimbo Fisher. He's a very loyal guy. I'm surprised. I know. Tell I know. I don't know for a fact, but I know because Tom Herman's a smart guy that he put in a call to, to Tim Brewster. He had to. Um, it probably just yeah. didn't work out the way. He should have brought Matthew McConaughey along with him. You know what I mean? You should have brought Beyonce. Tim Brewster's like, if you want to recruit Tim Brewster, you got to woo him because he's used to wooing. He wants to be limousine riding, jet flying kind of guy. And I don't know if Tom Herman brought, you know, he didn't bring the thunder. When he recruited Tim Bruce, he probably just tried to put a call in. Now nah, it ain't like that, man. Tim mm-hmm. Bruce, you got to put in more next. I guarantee Jimbo's paying him big money. Let me ask you this in closing, Rod. Is Tim Bruce the kind of guy that even if you don't have a staff opening right now, is Tim Bruce, in your opinion, the kind of guy that you make room for him? Man, you make – I don't know what they're going to call him or get, what title they're going to give him. They'll make room for him. I mean, that's a guy that can own H-Town. H-Town is where – go look at Tom Herman's recruiting class right now. Look at how many of those guys are from H-Town. Yeah. Right now, H-Town, man, is a high – because Arkansas is going to start hitting it hard. LSU loves H-Town. Um, hell, even um, Nick Saban loves H-Town. Everybody loves Houston. And Tom Herman thinks that's going to be one of his, uh, like, uh, kind of ideal recruiting grounds because he's got so much, um, you know, history there and so many roots there from Tom at Rice and U of H and all that. Man, if you let Tim Brewster from A&M get in there, man, it could be trouble for you. Uh, right now, he's dominating in H-Town. Uh, that could change with Tim Brewster on yep. the map. All right. We won't talk about Tim Brewster next week because next week we are talking about all Texas Bowl. I'm sure we'll get into some other discussions, but it is going to be all Texas and Missouri next week as we look forward to the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl on December 27th at NRG Stadium in Houston, Rod B's hometown. Rod's going home for the Texas going Bowl. Going home, man. H-Town. I'll be down there hanging out. I'll be at the game. I'm going with my pops and my brother. Nice. Well, there you go. Yeah. All right, Matt, thanks for everything, man. Oh, you're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. For Matt, for Rod, for Travis, the best damn videographer in the podcast game. For everybody at the Austin Radio Network and 1049 The Horn, our home. For everybody here at the station. Uh, for Matt, who uh, you can get this podcast, thanks to Matt, each and every week on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. And you get it on iTunes, TuneIn, you get it on any podcast app. Yep, or just Google us. Type in Longhorn Blitz, you'll find it. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode.
You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.